Welcome to the Rehope Podcast. Before we dive into this week's message, we'd like to provide you with some helpful resources. If you'd like someone to pray for you, it would be our joy to connect with you. So please email us at prayer at rehope.co.uk. If you'd like to get connected with an online Bible read-through group from wherever you are in the world, you can email brt at rehope.co.uk and be a part of a small group of people reading through the Bible cover to cover each year. Finally, if you would like to support the work and ministry of Rehope financially, you can do so online at rehope.co.uk slash giving. We pray you find this message encouraging, enlightening, and helpful. Enjoy. Good morning, everybody. I need to start with a confession, um, and that is that when Laura emailed me asking if I would speak uh, this morning, my first reaction was, oh no. Um, and I'll explain why in a second, but I thought, I know who'll help me get out of this. And I forwarded on Laura's email to Chloe, and I said, what do you think? And she came back immediately saying, you must do it. So there was no help. There was no help there. And the, and the, and the, the reason I felt, oh, no, I don't know if you remember ever at school um, when you're trying to avoid the teacher asking you the question. And, and I kind of felt like I was kind of squirming, and Laura's kind of very direct question meant that I, that I was going to need to do something that's probably been on my heart for a while. If you speak to my Bible read-through group, I've kind of been boring them about, you know, my questions um, and my thoughts in particular about this parable for about three years. And, uh, and I've just kind of avoided really saying I maybe want to share it with everybody else. So, so I hope there's something here for everybody today. It's certainly been on my heart for, for a long time. Um, and uh, before, before we get into the parable, I'm just checking the slides that have been put together for me. Behind. Before, before we get there, um, I just want to try and get us all on the same page. It's this time of year, we often reflect on what's gone past the last 12 months and maybe look ahead, set resolutions for the year ahead. And I hope there's been some really great stuff that has happened. And I hope there's some really great stuff in the future. In fact, I'm confident that, that there is. But I want to start just by talking about the context that we find ourselves in right now. I'm just going to talk about a few concepts, and I'm going to give you a couple of statistics first, because I want us to be thinking about who our neighbor is. Um, In Scotland, there are over a million people living in poverty, over half of them in deep poverty. That's today. That's a million people in a very small country. In England and Wales, between 20 and 23%, depending on which bracket you're looking at, of young people under the age of 25 are reported to have mental health issues. We can see the impact of the cost of living crisis, people having to choose between eating or putting the heating on. Um, We can see the way that refugees are treated in our country and elsewhere. We know all about the loneliness. That's before we start looking further afield and start looking to what's happening in the Middle East, what's happening in Ukraine. So I want to start by getting us on the same page and understanding our neighbors here and further afield are struggling and they need help. So I want us to hold that. I want us to hold that together. I want to look now at the, the biblical context. So, so in terms of, we're going to, we're going to be talking um, about 
the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to be talking about the parable of the, the Good Samaritan. But just to kind of, again, get us some context here. So we're, we're probably about halfway, I don't know, two-thirds, three-quarters into Jesus' ministry. So, you know, people are getting to know who he is. Um, he has um, sent the 12 out. He's fed the 5,000. He's been casting out demons. So people are, he's starting to get a reputation. So whilst it doesn't tell us that there's a big crowd, I suspect when he's teaching this, there's probably quite a lot of people there. Um, and he's done quite a lot of incredible things that have been drawing people to him. So that's some context. But what he hasn't done yet, and we need to remember this because this is really important, what he hasn't done yet is he hasn't gone to the cross when he's teaching this. He hasn't carried our sins to the cross, died, gone into the tomb, and risen again, conquering sin and death. He hasn't done that yet. And we must remember, because we could miss the point of this parable in terms of how we apply it to ourselves, if we miss that bit. And that's the most important thing for us to know. So he hasn't done that yet, but he has done it now. And we need to remember that as well in our context. And I'm going to come back to that. In fact, let me just state it first. And I'm going to state it through John 16 so that I don't get my words wrong. Let's use his. Um, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So when we come to talk about eternal life, there is only one way, and that is through Jesus. And he has paid the price for our salvation. And that is good news, okay? That's the most important thing for you to hear today. What I want to talk a little bit about is how we might respond and how this parable might help us understand how to do that. One further bit of context, and I promise we'll then get onto the parable. I think most of you will know the parable anyway, but I think in this day and age, we might not understand how people would have viewed the Samaritans at the time, because probably we think of the Samaritans, and we think of wonderful, helpful people that help people with mental health problems, um, that, that do good deeds. We, that's what we think of Samaritans, and that's because of this parable. At the time that Jesus was teaching, um, historical records are suggesting that not long before he was teaching this, the Samaritans were, and I read two different things, I don't know which one's true, and neither of them in the Bible, but I'll just share them. They were either pouring pig's blood on the temple or putting human bones on the temple. Uh, they were a hated other, blasphemous other. What does it say in the Bible? Well, it says a few things. I'm just going to share two of them. So just earlier in Luke chapter 9, under the heading of Samaritan opposition, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down, call fire down from heaven to destroy them? Okay? Now, these are Jesus' disciples, right? They have seen what he's doing. They've heard at least some of his message of unconditional love. And not only did they think they should be calling down fire, presumably they thought it was going to impress Jesus 
to suggest it, right? Samaritans were not viewed well. So there's a, a specific example from the Bible. And then another one, and this is how Samaritans perhaps will have viewed themselves. This is when Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well. And so this is John 4, 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Then goes on, for, Jesus, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So there's an, one understanding of how the disciples viewed Samaritans. And here's how a Samaritan woman viewed herself in the context of Jesus. So we need to hold that because the, the, the Samaritans were yet to develop their reputation for being good. They were the despised other um, and, and they knew it. So, context set at least. Let me read um, just the first part that will take us up to the parable. So, um, Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 29. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Okay, so let's just pause there for a second. So, he answered correctly. You know, we're, we're on to something the way that we start our services every week. Um, that's, the most, that's the most important commandment. In fact, Jesus in Matthew 22 is asked the question and he answers it directly himself. He doesn't ask someone else. And he says those, the first is to love God with all that you are and all that you have. Uh, and that's the most important and the second, which is like it, is to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, Jesus, when he says that in, in Matthew, um, also goes on to say, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. There's a lot in here, right? There's small writing in this Bible, but there's a lot. All the law and the prophets hang on these two things. Uh, and whilst I think it's fair to question the heart of the expert in the law here, because he's looking to justify himself, he's probably looking for an answer that gives him a reason why he doesn't need to, well, certainly he's looking for an answer for who he doesn't need to love, because he's looking for Jesus to qualify who his neighbor is. But I think it's important for us to try and understand, well, who, who is our neighbor? Um, and I think that Jesus doesn't answer it the way that the expert of the law wants him to. Um, he answers it as I read on. In reply, Jesus said, a man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, 
he passed on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by the other side. I know it's up there. I'm just going to pause here for a second because I think that maybe shocks us that the priest and the Levite walked past. And it maybe shocked the people that heard it at the time. But a priest or a Levite could become ceremonially unclean if they touched somebody who had weeping sores, wounds. Um, and I'm going to come back to that. So, so them walking past, yes, it is shocking. And Jesus is calling them out in a moment as to you know, what, they, what they should have been doing. But it's not quite as shocking, probably, to the audience at the time. Um, and uh, because to love God with all they are, perhaps the priests thought they had to walk past. They were missing the second commandment. But I'll just share that. As Brian would say, that's for free. So that's, uh, <laughs> uh, but a Samaritan... Right, just remember who the audience at the time, what they thought of Samaritans and where they had priests and Levites, up here, right down here. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now, pity, so the original uh, text was Greek. And the Greek word and... If there are Greek scholars here, please forgive my uh, pronunciation, but the Greek word for pity is splagma. And actually, a better translation is pity from your deepest soul. So the Samaritan took pity from his deepest soul. A pity that moved him to action. Um, he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So, there's quite a lot in here. The parables are amazing because they're so multi-layered, a multifaceted. Um, I'm going to try and pull out three things. The first is a question. Uh, the second is a challenge. Um, and the third is an invitation. So my question, and I've been wrestling with this, and I've got a couple of answers, but I want you to take this away as a question and wrestle with it, is why did Jesus choose the Samaritan as the hero of the parable. Wouldn't it have been much, much easier to have the Samaritan having been robbed and beaten up at the side of the road if Jesus just wanted to say, we should even love the other? If that's what he'd wanted to say, that would have been an easier 
way of doing it, right? It's probably how we hear it very often when we don't understand who Samaritans were in the views of the Jewish people at the time Jesus was talking. So, so why did he choose the Samaritan? And, and this is a question that has been chasing me around for three or four years, right? So I'm going to share just a couple of ideas, but I want you to take away the question. Um, I think one, and I wonder whether, I hope in some ways many of you may agree here, I think Jesus was talking about himself on one level. Uh, he was giving a story that was a foreshadow of what Jesus was going to do for us on the cross. Because Jesus knew what it was like to be the other, to be unwelcome. We've just been celebrating Christmas, and we all know that there wasn't even room at the inn for Jesus when he arrived. He knew in a very real way what it was to be rejected um, and to be despised. He, he knew that, um, and he was maybe talking about himself in that context. And, and let's think again about a Samaritan who then does cross the road over to help. Well, how did Samaritan? The Samaritan woman didn't even think that she should be drawing water from a well for a Jew. So a Samaritan that steps in to help is risking rejection, right? That's, that's important for us to remember. And Jesus risks rejection, you know, he does. He, he came, and when we were at the side of the road, when we were dead in our sins, he came and died for us. Not everyone's going to accept that, but he, but he did. And he paid for it, just like the Samaritan here paid for it. He paid for it with his life. The good news is he's coming back so that everything that we got wrong, everything that we continue to get wrong, he's going to pay for that, okay? We just, we just need to recognize Jesus for who he is and respond. And I think that when we're talking about the parable beyond, so I, so I think there is part of the parable when I'm thinking, why did Jesus choose the Samaritan? Is he's talking about himself and he's giving us some sense and he was giving the people then some sense of who he is and what he was going to do. And for us, who he is and what he has done. So I think there's something there for sure. Another reason, and this is where, when he, why did he talk about, if, if he just wanted to do that, right, he doesn't then need to talk about the priest and the Levite walking past. He could have just ignored that. We don't need that. We can just, Samaritan helping the person at the side of the road, but he doesn't. He says the priest and the Levite walk past and the Samaritan, they hated other, loved their neighbor well. So why did he do that? And I just wonder whether there's something in the two commandments. We, we need to love God. We do need to. We need to love God with all that we are and all that we have. That's clear. That's the first and most important commandment. Maybe the priest and the Levite were doing that as best they could. And maybe Jesus prompted us all to just be careful that we're getting the complete story that we are also loving our neighbor as ourselves. And maybe, do we miss lessons on how to love our neighbor well because they're not done by a priest or by a fellow Christian? 
are there examples that we should be following of loving our neighbor well that come from the other? I don't know. I don't know. But we've got to do both. And what is clear, so just let me be very clear, Jesus is the way to eternal life. Everybody needs to come to Jesus for that. Everybody, okay? Non-negotiable. And our first response should be to love God with everything we have, okay? These things are clear. I just wonder whether we sometimes miss the opportunity to learn how to love our neighbors well based on who's actually doing it. And we refuse to see the example of a Samaritan, how, whatever a Samaritan might be for us today, to love our neighbor well. So I'll leave that as the question, why did Jesus choose the Samaritan? And I, and I, and I ask you to take that away and pray about it, read the Bible. So the second thing is a challenge and the challenge, although it looks more like an instruction from Jesus to me, so I'm just putting it out there, I think this is an instruction from Jesus. I'm not allowed to give those instructions, but I'll just share what I think he's instructing us to do, is to go and do likewise. So when I was thinking about this, I started to think, what if, what if, just for today, just for today, that everybody in this church building today and anybody watching online, what if we really truly tried to follow the teaching here just for today, okay? And let's look at it again so we can see what did the Samaritan do? Um, so, he traveled and came to where the man was. And when he saw him, Okay, this is going to be obvious, but I'm going to labor it for a second. When he saw him, his eyes were open to see the person in need. His eyes were open to that. We don't know where he was going or why he was going and how much of a hurry he was in. We don't know, but his eyes were open to see his neighbor in need. He didn't know, and we don't know whether that neighbor on that road was a Jew, was a Samaritan. We don't know. We don't know. And I think Jesus has been really intentional in not telling us because our neighbor is whoever's in need on our path. That's who our neighbor is. And this person, this Samaritan, had at first had his eyes open. So we need our eyes open to see who our neighbor is. So he saw him first. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He took pity from his deepest soul. He was ready when he saw that person in need to feel that deep pity that led to a response. I think it's so easy to see somebody in distress and we see so much of it that we can harden our hearts so that we're not moved to act. But he saw him and he took pity from his deepest soul. And then he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. These things will have been expensive. He also, this was a road where someone had clearly just been robbed. 
the robbers might not have gone away. There was a risk here. There was a risk of rejection. He could have been rejected by the person he was trying to help, and he could have been beaten up and robbed by the robbers. So there was a risk here, and there was a cost of oil and wine. These things are expensive. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. So this is more time, right? The next day, so it's at least a day. You know, he's, he's, the next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. So he was trusting the innkeeper here and paying forward for the care of this person who he didn't know. And he said, look after him. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. There was a generosity in how he loved his neighbor, above and beyond any expectation that perhaps any of us would have. But Jesus says, go and do likewise. Jesus says, go and do likewise. So I come back again. What if, what if, just when we leave the church building today, just when we leave today, what if we went out with our eyes open, looking and ready to see who our neighbor is, with hearts prepared to be broken, to feel pity from our deepest soul, so that we would then respond the way that Jesus wants us to, perhaps at risk to ourselves, at risk of rejection, perhaps at cost of money, of time? What if just for today, everybody that's here in this building just did it for today? If we think about the context I set earlier, the statistics about where we are in our city, if we think about what's happening in the world, what if just for today, we did what Jesus told us to do? I think we'd make a dent. I think we'd make a dent. What if our friends in the south side and Paisley and Royston, what if they and we, for the whole of next week, went about our business with our eyes open, our hearts ready to feel pity from our deepest soul, and ready to respond the way that Jesus has taught us. Yeah, we're starting to get somewhere, I think. I think there's something that would start to happen. Now, what if, what if every Christian of every denomination in our city committed to do that for a month? I think headlines would start changing. I really do. I think headlines would change. I think that our families the cultures of the organizations we work in, I think things would really, really start to change if we did this, if every Christian in Glasgow did this for just a month. And you can probably see where I'm going. Let's go to Scotland and let's go three months. <laughs> let's go UK and six months. <laughs> what, if, what if every Christian, what if everybody who's given their life to Jesus did what Jesus is asking us to do the next year. Headlines would change all over the world. This is God's plan. This is God's plan, but he calls us to act in it. He invites us to act in it. So my challenge to all of us here is to go and do likewise and to support and encourage our friends to do the same because I think that Jesus will use us 
as we pray, to have done on earth as in heaven. He'll use us to do that if we've got eyes to see and our hearts ready and we're then prepared to act. So that is, that's my challenge for everybody here. The final thing is a, an invitation. I don't know what you've come here believing or knowing uh, about Jesus. I don't know if what I've just said has gone way over your head or seems impossible or ridiculous. But I want to invite you to follow Jesus because that's the starting point. That's, where we, that's the most important thing for all of us to know. That's where it starts. The way to eternal life is through Jesus. He came here in human form, lived the perfect life and died on a cross and rose again, conquering all of your sins. You might be here feeling like you're the person that's just been robbed at the side of the road. You might be here having just robbed someone at the side of the road. I don't know. I don't know. Jesus is big enough for all of it. So my invitation for you, uh, and, I, and I know, so when I was talking from John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world. Now, the world includes everything and everyone in it. I sometimes think it can be easy to hear that and think it doesn't include me. It's easy for that to be misunderstood as maybe almost everything apart from me because we sometimes see the world from where we are. We're perceiving it out here. But when God perceives the world, you are in it. No matter what you have done, no matter what baggage you've brought here, no matter what your needs are, God loves you. Please hear that, you that needs to hear that. God loves you so much that he sent his son here to die on a cross to pay for your salvation. You. I hope you know who you are. And the invitation is to love him back and then join the rest of us as we try to go about our lives now, I hope with our eyes open, with hearts ready to feel pity from our deepest soul so that we can love our neighbors well and transform the world the way that God wants it to be transformed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son Jesus. We thank you for what he has done on the cross. Father, we ask that anybody needing to really know who you are, that you would reveal yourself to them now and you would help them come to know you better. We ask that you give us eyes to see our neighbors through your eyes, be they neighbors near, be they neighbors far away. Give us hearts ready to be broken in the way that your heart breaks, Father and a willingness and help to respond in the way that you'd have us respond. We ask these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.